Hey, we're moving on to um, John's Gospel. Um, we just take a moment maybe just to remember that uh, we, we had a Thanksgiving service for the life of Anne Pritchard yesterday. Just to say, Anne used to talk, sit or stand, sit down at the very back there. And she was very much loved by us all. I'm sure you, you all know her, and perhaps all of you already know that the Lord took her home at the weekend. So I just want to remember Anne and to thank God for her and for her life. And, and just as I thought about this morning and about, um, about how we're talking about God's love, you know, Anne experienced that love, and so can you. And God wants, I believe, to speak to us in love today. And we're very glad to be able to welcome people online who maybe are tuning in now through live stream. And uh, there are also other people in other churches or whatever, that a few women here and there that are linking in with us and doing the study with us. So we just welcome them as well. So our title this morning is God Loves You. And we're going to be looking at uh, just a few verses in John. We're going to be looking from verse 14 to 18 of chapter 1. Now, whenever we get to chapter, to, whenever we get to verse 18, we will have covered what is known as the prologue, prologue to John's Gospel. So over the last couple of weeks and this week, it's really that those first 18 verses are kind of known as the prologue to the Gospel. Let me tell you just what um, has been said about this. The prologue to John's Gospel, verses 1 to 18, is considered to be one of the most sublime sections in all of Scripture. And so there are such tremendous depths in this that I didn't want to rush over it. And so we're only going to be doing these few verses, but there's a lot in them. So I'm praying in the name of Jesus that all of our hearts and our minds will be open to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us today, because God is great. And John's gospel is absolutely profound. It is full of God's goodness and greatness. Uh, there's a little bit I'm reading from this book. It says, this gospel has a continuing effect on Christians because John's account finds an ongoing source for expanding their concept of the Saviour's greatness. In other words, the more we get into this gospel, the greater you're going to see Jesus. That's John's gospel is so rich and so full of his fullness that God means to use these weeks together through reading John's Gospel, because John presents Jesus as God, as God in all his fullness. And it says here, the serious student of, jo student of John will find that each time he returns to this Gospel, that Christ will seem to be a little bigger. Something like Lucy's experience with the lion Aslan, you all know the story in uh, C.S. Lewis's film, The Chronicle of Narnia. And just this little quote that I wanted to read to you, where Lucy comes as a little child and she says, and, and, Narnia, and Aslan says to her, the, the, the lion says to her, Welcome, child, he says. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered Aslan. Lucy says, not because you are bigger. I am not, says Aslan, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And I believe that God wants us to grow in this series. And I believe he wants us to see God bigger, to see how great he is. Because I think a lot of us actually see God as far too small. We don't realize how wonderful he is. And so we're gonna very quickly, I know I've gone over the, the 
the, the sort of the earlier verses before, and this is going to be real quick. But though so far we have looked from verses one to thirteen, which is the first part of the prologue. And actually, if you looked at these carefully, all of these from verses one to thirteen, you can kind of link everything back to Genesis. Remember, it said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Looking back to Genesis chapter one, God's the Creator. Then we we looked at how Jesus came to give. In Him was the life, and we we have learnt that that God gave life. Genesis two and seven is where God formed the man and breathed life into him. So these first seventeen, these first thirteen verses of of John's Gospel are actually linking us back into the truths of Genesis. Then it talks about John. talks a lot throughout his gospel about about Jesus coming to be the light of the world and to be the light of men to come into our hearts to bring light. And in Genesis one and three, God spoke and said, "Let there be light." It's linking back into Genesis. And then the fourth point was, and we looked at this last week, how John says that to those who who received Jesus and believed in His name, to them He gave the right or the authority to become the children of God. And that links right back to God forming man and saying, let us make man in our own image. God's plan has always been that we would be, that we would be his children, that we would be in his image. But we know that through sin that image was marred. And so we began to look more like the enemy and we, that's, we begin to move in darkness instead of light. And, and we know that, that God sent Jesus, his son, for God so loved the world and whosoever believes in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. So we see that God's heart of love has always been to have us as his children. That we would show his image. That we would carry his image. And so those first, I don't want to get carried away with those, I'm going to preach again the last two weeks. Like, but um, those verses 1 to 13, it's about Genesis. Now we're going to look from verse 17. And we're going to see that John's actually now linking back into Exodus. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. He also wrote the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. So let's look at the next verse. We're just going to read one verse at a time. Let's read John chapter 1, verse 14. And here's what it says. And the word became flesh. So John's gone right back to talking about Jesus being the word. He became flesh or he became a human being and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I just wanted to stop here because when John talks about, uh, about the word becoming human, Jesus coming in human flesh and dwelling among us, that word dwelt or dwelling is the idea of like tabern. It's the same word as to tabernacle. It's to dwell means to live amongst or to tabernacle with. It's the same word. It's the same word as tabernacle in the Old Testament. And I'm going to read what I've said in my notes. John is referring to to. Um, John is referring to Jesus as the Word, and he says the Word became flesh and literally came to earth to dwell or tabernacle among us. He is referring to God meeting Moses on Mount Sinai to give not only the Ten Commandments, but instructions about how to prepare God a place or a sanctuary, a place set apart, a tabernacle, where he might dwell with the people that he created. 
And we can read that in Exodus 25 because this is the New Living Translation where God's speaking to Moses and he says, Have the people build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build the tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Why did God want Moses to get the people to build a tabernacle? Actually, a tabernacle is just a tent, a big tent. Why did Moses, why did God want a tent so that he could dwell among his people, so that he could be with his people. The tabernacle was where God's glory dwelt, where he came, he restricted himself to come into a tent. I mean, can you imagine? The one who, who created the whole heavens and the, all that we know to be out there and what we don't know to be out there, that scientists are still trying to understand what's going on out there and what... what What's happening? And God chooses to restrict himself to come underneath a tent, to actually live in a tent. Why? What's his motivation? That he might live with his children, that he might be close to his children. Have you any idea how much God longs to be close to you? Have you any idea what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what they've done, what they have prepared and the Old Testament gives us the pictures of what was going to happen because Jesus was going to come in a tent, only it wasn't going to be a tent that you pitch up. He was going to come in a human body. And the human body was going to be his tent. And Jesus was going to come to earth to dwell among us. I've written here, the tabernacle was where God's glory dwelled. It was really a tent. God literally pitched his tent and camped with his people Israel. He travelled with them throughout their 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Can you imagine that? And God, God sent Jesus to come onto this earth in a human body, which was going to be a tent. Now it's interesting that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the outside of it was made of like badger skins. They were just dark and there was nothing outside that you would have even found attractive. And it's not what it says about Jesus that, that, he, that the, he had no former comeliness. He, Jesus didn't come, you know, like some big grand king. You know. He came as a humble baby that people could have easily overlooked. The outside of the tabernacle was plain and ordinary, but inside it was full of gold. And the priests were to wear all of these sparkling jewels. If you read the garments that the priests were to carry, it was a wonder to behold. And you see, when we come to know Jesus, we realise how rich he is. We find that there's hidden treasures. We find that he, there's gold to be found in Christ. And so the tabernacle is a wonderful picture of Jesus. And John says in the same way, now instead of dwelling in a tent, God has come to us in real flesh and he's pitched himself with us in a human body. You can't get better than that, can you? He's pitched himself in the human body. What's the point? God desperately wants you to know that his desire is to be close to you. That he wants you to lean in to him. I just believe that, that God wants us to really live that out. You know, this morning I just felt very, very weak and my head was a bit dizzy. I didn't have a great night's sleep and just one of those mornings and I felt really, really uh, exhausted and uh, Beth gave me this and I'm going to actually take the time to read it to you because I believe that God wants you to know this he wants you close and he wants you to lean in let me read it to you 
I am not silent. I'm whispering. Lean in close now. Don't miss it. Feel my breath fall gently on you. My breath gives life, you know. It restores the broken pieces. The tired, aching limbs, dusty from the road, walked and so weary from the weather. Lean in. Feel your heartbeat slow, resting back on the certain hope of my sovereign arm, tucking you in tight from the elements. Breathe deeply here, where you are, cushioned by grace. Stay here, live here on my lap with whispered words only you and I can hear. Feel my touch smoothing out your hair, tatty and messed from the winds, that have whipped wildly around your mind. I'm soothing that too, your mind, smoothing out the furrows in a brow vexed with fear of the future, afraid of battles not yet faced, battles that may in fact never be, but scared nonetheless at a thousand aching possibilities. Look away from the possibility to certainty. There are many possibilities in your future, but I am certainty. Certainty irons out the fear of possibility that wrinkles up your spirit and creases up your heart in painful folds. Of one thing you're sure, me. I am sure. You know it. I haven't changed your whole life long. Stable, steady, certain, and you, my bride, are hidden in me. You and I are one. Lean in close now. Leave no line of division, no crack into which one can pry or can pry space. Let me hide you, shield you, hold you, stay here, live here. This is the bride's portion. Lean in. This is written by Charlotte Charlotte uh, Charlotte Kern. I believe God wants you to know afresh this morning. He wants you close. He wants you close. He came in a human body so that we could lean in, so that we could be close. And so we see that this is the first point that God wants us to lean in. But you know, the next point I wanted to make, and we're still actually looking at this verse in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's just continue on here, because our body, not only did Jesus come in a tent, in a human body, but did you know that your body is like a tent? Now, I couldn't help but think about this this week because Anne, you pressure it, has stood at the back over these past years and she's worshipped and she's glorified God and used to do me so much good to look down because, as you know, Anne, she used to call herself Big Anne. And Anne stood at the back and she was head and shoulders above everybody so I could see her face. And Anne would have been worshipping and going for, and if you happened to mention something about Jesus that blessed her, she would, you know, you could see her reacting in that back row. But you know, this week passed, God took down the tent. He pulled out the tent page because Anne's spirit was moving out of that tent and Anne's spirit was going straight into glory. Straight to be able to see the one that she loved face to face. I mean, it's just incredible. This is the truth. And you and I need to know these bodies are only temporary. They're just a temporary residence for our spirit to live in. I went to see, saw Anne just on Sunday and you know, we looked at her body and we just, my brother was with me and we both just said, the Spirit's gone. That's not Anne. Anne's with the Saviour. 
I believe I'm just bursting, you know the way she did, I could just see her bouncing into glory. And I had this picture, and I just thought this picture was of Anne bouncing into glory. And as she came in and just got a glimpse of Jesus, all the angels stood up and just cheered her in as she ran her Saviour's arm. This is what we have in front of us. This is the truth. The truth is that this tent, what's going on in here, this spirit is only for a very, very short time. This spirit's going to move out of this tent someday. And if you don't believe me that, 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 uh, that, that the scriptures say that we're like a tent, let me read this to you from 2 Corinthians 5 verses, verses around 1 to 8. It says, we know that when this earthly tent is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a, a, a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. God has prepared another body for you that you're going to move into one day. And, and the Apostle Paul in Second Peter 1, he said something the same. He said, so long as I'm in this tent or this tabernacle, I want to stir you up. And that's what we want to do for each other because these bodies are just just they're just something that carries our spirit and you see although jesus came into this world in an earthly body he didn't come into a sinful body our when adam and eve sinned in the garden that it was like this it was just in a way a, a picture of how like a snake you get snake bite and it gives you poison it gives you a virus that Sin virus was passed down to all of us. So we're all, Bible says we're all born in sin. So all of our bodies are contaminated by sin. But Jesus, when he came to this world in a virgin's womb, he wasn't contaminated by sin because the scriptures say that God had prepared a special uncontaminated body for Jesus' spirit to enter into. And it tells us that in Hebrews 10, for it says... When Jesus, when he came into the world, he said, A body you have prepared for me. And it says, In the volume of the book, it is written of me. And it, those verses link back to Psalm 40, where the same thoughts are. And the idea is this, if I could make this real clear for you. God, Revelation and other, cha other scriptures teach us that God has books. Now, they might not look like books that we have, like books like this. But there are books in heaven. There's a book about your life. There's all the stuff that God has ordained for you. It's written in his book. And so Jesus knew, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament, Psalm 40, that Jesus was going to come voluntarily. And he knew that in God's book it was written that God would send him, but that he would come in a body, in a human body that was not contaminated with sin, because he needed to be, he needed to be sinless. Now why was it important that Jesus was sinless? Because if Jesus was born in a sinful body and if he died on the cross, he would only have been dying for his own sins. Jesus came to die for your sins and for mine. And so he had to be spotless. He had to be one without sin. And of course this reminds us about how, uh, about how John the Baptist talked about Jesus being the Lamb of God and how he came in this body to be, to be like the Old Testament, going back, to Genesis, going back to Exodus again. Do you remember how there was the Passover Lamb? And if you remember before, do you remember the whole story about how God got them out of, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and how he told them to bring the Lamb and they were to keep it for 14 days and they were to make sure there wasn't any blemish on it, that it was a perfect little lamb that could be sacrificed for sin it had to be examined 
and only then it could be uh, it could be offered up as a sin sacrifice. Well, you see, whenever Jesus came in His body, He had to be without blemish, and so God prepared this body for Him that had no sin in it, and then He He lived in that body. God lived in flesh, and Jesus experienced what it was like to live in the world as a human being, but He was God in a human body, and He didn't sin, and He was the perfect sacrificial lamb of God who gave his life for you and for me. He bore your sin. He bore your sin for you. That's why John pointed, and we're going to be doing this, I think we'll get to this next week, where John finally, you know, John the Baptist says, points at him and says, look, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Do you know that it's sin that causes pain? It's sin, your problem and my problem. What's sin? It's selfishness. It's, it's the stuff that we're born with, this old nature that we're born with that doesn't put God first, puts self first. And sin, you know, we're all contaminated. But sin, whenever we give into it, it becomes worse and worse. And sin is how Satan takes over. And when, sin is the very thing that causes pain. It causes sin came into the world, it brought sickness, it brought division in relationships. It brought, uh, it brought all of the bad things that we look at. It's all because of sin. And Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Because God wants to lift that burden off you. God doesn't want you to know guilt. God doesn't want you to live in your body, carrying a weight of guilt and not enjoying fellowship with him. Listen, he created you. He created you to be his child. He created you to be his daughter. And he sent Jesus to reconnect you back to himself. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit part of them that connected them to God, that made them alive in God, it died. And when Jesus came, he made us alive again. And those who received Jesus, that's what happens. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know the way if you imagine somebody who's, who's out for the count and you give them an electric shock and they just dump up. <laughs> That's the picture I have. It's like the moment you receive Jesus as your saviour and you know that he died for you and you realise that all the stuff in your life that's causing you pain is because of this old sinful nature and you know that, that you're just maybe in a bad place and you don't know Jesus yet and the Holy Spirit comes and shines his light into your heart and you realise, hey, this is my problem. It's not all these things that I think are my problem. My problem is that I don't know God. My problem is the spirit part of me is still dead in sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that God makes us alive whenever he saves us. And it's just like when we receive Christ and say, Oh God, thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. Thank you that when I receive you, I have the, I have the right to be your child. I am your child. And your life is in me. And I can now become like you. Whenever that happens and you receive Jesus, do you know what happens? It's like that spirit part of you that was dead just jumps to life. And you're reconnected again and you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you begin to be a tabernacle, a tent, that instead of being cut off from God, you're linked up now. You're wired up to heaven here. You're wired up to heaven. And God's Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit will show you truth and all of that. We don't want to go off on a tangent there. But here's the thing. If you've trusted Jesus, you're saved. Your body now belongs to God. Because God's living in you. And as you walk around this life and do your business every day, God's living in you. You're living, walking tents or tabernacles 
as you go around and do your business. You're saved and your body belongs to God. And it just reminds me about how so often we don't look after our bodies. So often we forget that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this verse to you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. He is in you, whom you have... I'll again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, have no, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price... Therefore glorify God in your body. What's, what's the apostle writing here? He's saying, do you not understand that your body now is a temple where Jesus wants to dwell? Look after it. Don't let any rubbishy stuff come in. Because don't defile yourself. Because Jesus has paid a price. He's paid a price for you. And your body belongs to him. You know, I just would love that we could... It's good to look after our bodies and, you know... I believe God wants us to look after our bodies, but we've got to remember that God doesn't want us to put rubbish into these bodies. He wants us to walk in light. He wants his presence to shine out. Do you know what God's desire is? That the Holy Spirit would be so uncontaminated in your body that the Holy Spirit would shine out in you that everywhere you go, you're just shining Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants you to say yes to his Holy Spirit so his Holy Spirit can have his way. And the more that you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, the more... It will shine out and people will see you in, in your body. I want to just keep going here. We're not too bad for time. But I really want to, because there's so much truth in all of this. So, uh, so your body now belongs to God and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the next point that I wanted to make. Now I want us to look again at verse 14. And it says, we be, John says, We beheld his glory and as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, whenever John saw, whenever John the disciple is writing this gospel, whenever he saw Jesus, he realised that he was seeing God's glory. John saw God's glory as Jesus walked this earth. John had not only met with, but he had lived with God in the flesh. And he had lived to write about it. Now, in 1 John chapter 1, we won't take time to read it all. But First John chapter 1, uh, John is, is the epistle to John that he writes as an old man. And in that epistle, he's saying, he's, 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 he's a witness to say, we're not just talking about this. We actually knew, we actually knew God. That's what he's saying. Let me just read you the first couple of verses. He says, we proclaim to you, 1 John 1 verse 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. See, John, John knew him. It wasn't just that he'd heard about him. He says, we proclaim to you whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you so that you might fully share 
our, our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth and so on and so on. God is light. So John as an old man is, is saying, look, we, we saw this firsthand. Just what he's saying in John's gospel, we beheld or we looked at his glory. Now, the law, which really was the truth. Remember, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave him the, the truth. The, the law showed us God's true standard. Is there anybody here could say that they've kept the Ten Commandments completely? That they've loved the Lord their God with all their heart and mind? Of course not. We couldn't keep that level. We couldn't possibly keep the law. And all that the commandments did was condemn us. It just showed us, hey, you couldn't keep that. You couldn't, you couldn't live like that. But then it says here, I've written in your notes, however, when God came in a human body, he introduced us not only to the truth, Ten Commandments are the truth, but Jesus came not only to show us truth, but to show us his grace. You see, we need to understand that when Jesus came, he said, I know you can't, I know you can't keep my commandments. Psalm 119, Jerry read to us this morning, uh, verse 160 says that the word is the essence of truth. Jesus is the word. And here's the truth. You and I can't keep the law. You and I can't, we cannot in our own ability, and no matter how much we make good resolutions, no matter how much we try, we can't live the life that God wants us to live without God's Holy Spirit and without his grace. And this is the thing that God wants us to, to experience, that grace. God wants us to know that his grace, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And so this morning, if there's anyone in here who still doesn't know Jesus, I want to tell you that Jesus isn't coming to you this morning and saying, straighten up and try to do all these good things, live a good life and maybe I'll accept you. He's saying, no, the truth is you can't. You can't. You can't be a Christian. You can't live for God unless you receive the grace, unless you understand that he died to save you for by for, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he provided everything, provided salvation as a gift, provided the strength and ability to live for him as a gift. Now, I've written here as your keynote, God gives us grace to live out our lives in truth. Because you know what? When we receive Jesus as our saviour, the Holy Spirit comes in and now we have his help by his spirit to actually live out the Ten Commandments. We don't always keep them, but because of his grace, we get constant forgiveness. So we actually can begin to live a life of overcoming. We actually can begin to live because of his grace. And James, the little book of James in the Old Testament says that he gives more grace. Now, I had this idea of grace being like a big container. This is just my mind. Now, it doesn't tell us this in the Bible, but this is what I think. I see it like a big, big reservoir that has no bottom. So no matter how much you need, there's always more. You think, well, I have asked God to forgive me so many times. How can I go back again? Sure, I've made that same mistake again a hundred times. Sure, I'm absolutely done for. I'm never going to get over this. I'm just, I'm, I'm done for. God says, no, you're not. My grace is sufficient for you. 
He says, come on, there's a big reservoir here. Come on, just come to me and I'll just, I'll lift out my grace again. I'll forgive you again. I'll wash you again and I'll help you. Maybe this time I will get it. Because you see, we're, we're all like little children, aren't we? And we God's children. Isn't that what we're learning? To those that receive him, believe in his name, he gives us the ability to be his children. Well, children need to learn, don't they? Now, how often do you have to tell your child something? The first time you tell the child something, is it perfect? How many times do you have to tell that child, that's not the way? And that's exactly what God does with you. And no matter how many times you stumble or fall, he said, come on, there's plenty of grace here. I'll just lift you another big lump of grace. Say, here, you're forgiven again because I love you. And I, I see what you could become. I see, I see the woman that I've planned you to become. Because now you're my child, you now have my Holy Spirit, and I have a plan for you, and I want you to change to become more like me. I want you, I want you to understand that, that there's more for you. It's not, I don't want you to stay the way you are. I want to show you that now that you're mine and my Spirit is in you, that I can actually make you more like me, because you're my child, and I want you to bear my image, and I want you to know I want you to know that I'm for you. I'm not against you. And I want you to know that I want you to grow and to change. And just as we long for our children to grow up and mature, don't we? We don't want our child to stay in a place of helplessness or hopelessness. We want the child to grow up and to learn and to become a, 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 a person who has their own life. God's saying, come on, grow up in me. And I just love what John wrote uh, again in First John. As an old man, in, in chapter 3, he says... See how much, how much the Father loves us. Let's just, let's just read this. Um, uh, this is another translation. How great, First John 1, 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Now, let's read on because he goes on to say, Dear children, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Over the next weeks, we're going to see that John wrote in his gospel. He explains that becoming a Christian is like the new birth. We're going to look at that in a few weeks' time. It's becoming the child through a spiritual birth. You're born once in your body, but when you receive Jesus as your saviour, you become his child, you're reconnected again. Holy Spirit comes in to live in you. But God wants us now to begin to grow up in him. And he, he wants us now to begin to reflect what God looks like in our lives. And you see, I think sometimes we just think, well, I've trusted Jesus now, and that means I'm sure I'm going to heaven. That's not the, the whole of it. That's a wonderful part of it. I'm praising God that Anne New Pritchard is, I can see her just flying around, looking at the house that God has for her, the mansion, and looking around and just, you know, so excited about everything new. But that's a wonderful part of it, that trusting Jesus to forgive us and to wash us clean from sin and for his Holy Spirit to come and keep continually cleansing us. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But God means it to be worked out now in this life so that we become more like Jesus, so that we start to overcome the things that constantly get us down and worry us and all those burdens that you... He wants you to say, do you know what? I, do you know the, the beautiful thing about a child growing up? If a child grows up with parents who love us, the child soon realises that mummy and daddy can look after those difficult things, that mummy and daddy will provide that mummy and daddy will shield and protect. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what it's about bringing up a child? 
in exactly the same way your heavenly father wants you to know that when you come to him and receive him as your savior that 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 you are born again a child of god now and everything's in his hand and he wants you to learn to trust him with those burdens and overcome the worry and overcome the anxiety and begin to live this life and begin to shine out his likeness to become more and more like him that actually people look and say look at her she's just bouncing with the love of god you can see christ in other people and so i believe that god wants us to understand that that this is the best life we could ever have and i wanted to read to you something that c.s lewis said talking about how god wants us to grow and become more like him and here's what he says remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would strongly be tempted to worship you imagine that that god wants to build us up to be so much like christ that that actually in a coming day people would look and say my goodness she's so like christ you'd almost be tempted to bow down but but god wants us to know that we become more like him c.s lewis goes on to say or else people can become a horror and a corruption such as if you would now meet it, if at all, only in a nightmare. You know, people who don't know God, that's the way they're going. They're going to become more like a nightmare. But God wants to grasp us and to shine his light in our hearts. And he wants to fill us up so that we become more Christ-like and more like himself. And when we get to heaven, he's going to put the finishing touch on and we'll just be like him. Because the Bible says we will see him as he is. And finally, we will be like him. This is what God has for you. He wants you to know that he gives you grace to live out your life in truth. I'm going to need to really hurry up over these next few points, but I really want to, to get to a couple of things here. When John saw Jesus, he saw God's glory. We were created for glory. Psalm 8 tells us that. What is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you even think about him? It says in Psalm 8, but it says that we were crowned when he made us. He crowned us with glory and honour. In the garden when man was created, when God breathed life into man, he, created, he crowned mankind with glory and honour. And because of sin, we lost the glory. When we come back to Jesus, we received back all that was lost in the garden of Eden. And so God wants us uh, to understand that we were created for him. We were created to be glory bearers. We were created to shine for God and to allow his light to shine through us and to show us his love. Now, I just wanted to read uh, again. Just let me read um, John. We're still, we're still in this first verse. There's so much of this, isn't there? This first verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth so we've seen that uh, we've seen that that uh, christ uh, came with truth but he also came with this big bottomless reservoir of grace and he tells us to run to him boldly to the throne of grace where we will get the help that we need whenever we're in trouble but here's my last point on this verse you see john looked at jesus and he saw the glory of god and in the Old Testament, remember we're, we're saying these verses are linking back into Exodus. In the Old Testament, Moses also longed to see God's glory. 
Remember the story, we haven't time to read it though, but there's a fabulous story in Exodus 33 where the people had sinned, they had really rebelled against God again and again and again, and God comes to a point where he says to Moses, these people, tell you what, Moses, you just take them on because God says, I'm not going to go with them any further. And Moses got down on his knees and he cried out to God and eventually God uh, changed his mind and said, grace again, even in the Old Testament. And he said, okay, I will go with you. And then Moses has the audacity to say, well, uh, will you show me your glory as well? And so God says, okay, I'm, I'm just the paraphrasing here. God says, okay, I want you to come and stand on this rock and I'm going to pass all my glory before you. But he says, you can't, you can't look at my face, but I'll show you my glory from the back. Because God's glory would kill us, I think, if we saw it in his human body. And so he's telling, he's telling Moses, you just stand on that rock. And God says, I'm going to put my hand on you. I'm going to put you into the cleft in the rock. And he says, I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to show you my glory. What a picture. What a picture of Moses in the Old Testament longing to see God's glory. And here's John in the New Testament, he says, but I've seen it. I've seen it because his glory has come in a body and has come to earth and I have looked at it and I've seen the glory in Jesus Christ. And John just never got over that. He just could never get over that the glory of God was in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, here's the picture. The Old Testament is full of wonderful pictures about what God was going to do for us as his beloved children. What, what was Moses doing? Well, God said, stand on the rock. What do we do if we want to see the glory of God? We stand on the rock, Christ Jesus. What did God say? I'm going to pass by and I'm going to put you into the cleft of the rock. Why do we sing that hymn? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Jesus, Jesus died for us. It was like the cleft. That hymn, I believe, Rock of Ages, was written whenever a man was in a thunderstorm and, and afraid of being struck by lightning, he saw a little cleft in the rock and he stepped into the rock to hide him. What a picture of the judgment of God that was due to fall on us as sinners, but because Jesus died for us, he provided this space we can step into. And he says, he says if, you, if, you, if you stand on the rock, he says, I'm going to put my hand on you, I'm going to put you into the rock, the cleft, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. Do you know that nothing, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper? When you trust in Jesus and realise that he died on the cross, realise that he was cleft for you, realise that you, in Christ nothing can harm you. You realise that you can look at Jesus and you can live in the glory of his presence. And in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it is 4 verse, somewhere around there, 4 verse 12 maybe, where it talks about because of what Jesus has done for us and because he died to take our sin, he makes us free, he gives us liberty and now we can keep looking at him and his glory and the more we look at what he has done and look into his face and see the beauty and the love and look at the face of love that looks into our face, we are changed, it says, from one level of glory to another. We, become, we begin to carry his glory. As we look into his face and see his love, we are changed and we begin to experience God's glory. Last Sunday night, and I must nearly wind up very soon, but last Sunday night, we spent some time in here just waiting on the Lord. And, and Alan, Jerry's son here, 
uh, preached to us and he spoke about how God wants us to experience his glory here and now. Yes, we're going to be with him in glory and that's going to be amazing, but we're meant to actually experience his glory now. And he talked about how it means waiting on him and as we worship him and wait on him, we can actually experience his glory. The word glory is kabod, it means weight. We can actually begin to sense, we can actually physically begin to feel that sense of weight upon us as he comes and refreshes us. We stayed on here, I don't know what time it was when we left on Sunday night, some of the other folks had gone on after the meeting was over and just worshipped and waited and let God's glory come on us. That's what worship, it's not about running in, reading a few verses and running out again. It's about saying to you, oh God, I am longing to see you this morning. I want to see your glory, I want to see your love. Love and glory, I believe, go together. And as we sit in his presence and we say, come on, Lord, I just want to wait on you, please reveal. And as he will reveal himself through his word. And there are times where when we read a word that hits our heart, you know, if we don't stop and wait, and, and as a young Alan said, tarry in his presence, you know that old word, tarry? As we wait in his presence, we'll begin to feel a sense of his presence. Have you ever felt it? That beautiful sense of peace and just wanting to worship and all is well in the world. And Lord, you're so beautiful. Lord, we love you. I love you. And you begin to receive his love and his glory. You know what? Those are the times of refreshing. Those are the times when he comes to give you that secret power where he begins to show you, you can experience my glory. And as you experience his glory and worship him, do you know what happens? You're changed. From one level of glory to another. Second Corinthians 3 verse 15. And you're actually, as you behold his glory and experience it and spend time with him, you're actually changed. So you begin to, to move into another level of his glory and you begin to shine for him. Finally, we'll just come into the last few bits. John the Baptist, let's go on to verse 15 now. Where it says in verse 15, uh, John, this is, um, this is John the Baptist now. John bore witness of Jesus and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me. In other words, John the Baptist said, Jesus came after me. We know that Jesus was born six months after John. And yet John the Baptist says, but he was before me. In other words, he was the pre-existent one. He was God. That's what John the Baptist was saying. He who comes after me, said John, is preferred before me, for he was before me. And, said John the Baptist, of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. And that's what I'm saying about this big reservoir of grace. It's endless grace. Don't ever feel that you can't go to God and ask for forgiveness or ask for grace. It's an endless reservoir. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Run, run and jump up on his knee because he wants, he wants you like a little child to go and say, I'm sorry. And he wants you to jump up onto his knee and experience his love and his forgiveness. For John the Baptist said, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. We've all been supplied with one grace after another. I want to read this to you in the Amplified Version. He was God and from his fullness, from his abundance, we have all had a share. 
we have all been supplied with one grace after another and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favour upon favour and gift heaped upon gift. John 1 verse 16, that's the amplified version. God wants to give you favour. He wants to give you gifts. He wants to pour out his love on you. He's a good, good father. And he wants to give you good, good things. And Jesus came to show us the Father. That's the last point in our time this morning. Jesus came to show us the Father. John the Baptist says, No one has seen God at any time, but Jesus has shown us the Father. And in Hebrews 1 verse 3, let me just read this to you because this is one of my... I remember learning this whenever I was a child. I obviously can't quote it now, but I remember in Sunday school learning these, these verses in Hebrews 1. And he used to rhyme them off like a parrot. But I want, to, I want you to see this. In these last days, verse 2, God has spoken to us by his Son. Verse 3. Who, this is Jesus, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. In other words, the exact replica of God. Jesus came to show us the Father. He was the one who came to give the exact likeness of the Father. And excuse me, man, but I'm going to read this from the Amplified because, and then we're going to finish, because I really believe that this is uh, probably uh, written better in the Amplified to give the exact. Um, so we're looking for Hebrews 1. Just bear with me a wee second. Hebrews 1. <clears throat> okay he is the sole expression of the glory of God the light being the outraying or radiance of the divine this is Jesus and he is the perfect imprint and very image of God nature of God's nature upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power that's who Jesus was. He was the expression of the glory of God. He was the perfect imprint, the very imprint of the Father. Listen, if we could just grasp the wonder of God and how much he loves us and how much he wants us to live a life of victory, to live a life where we become more like him, where we are changed. You know those, you know those parts of us of our, even of our, of our personality and of our temperament. And we can just put it down and say, oh, that's just the way I am, you know. That's just who I am. But I tell you, there's so many bad habits that we have got. There's so many things that don't please God. Things like, you know, being brash or, or bad-tempered or nasty or just not kind, not kind comments, saying things behind people's back, gossiping. All of those things that sometimes we just take as part and parcel of life. God said, look, you're my daughters. You're my children now. I want you to start to show what I'm like to the world. And God doesn't gossip and he's not unkind. God is good and kind and forgiving. And God wants us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And he wants us to begin to show and display who he is. 
Jesus came to show us the Father. And when we receive Jesus into our lives, we want to show the world what God looks like. And so God wants us to change that stuff. He doesn't, it's not enough to say, oh, it's okay, it's just, that's just me, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. You now have the Holy Spirit in you. You belong to God. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. And God says, I want you to know that I have, I have a plan for you. For by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves as a gift of God. But then it goes on to say, for you are God's workmanship, created unto good works. God has plans for you. And you've been saved for a purpose. And the purpose is to show this world what God's like. And you only do that through being changed from one glory to another. As you look into the face of Jesus Christ and see his love and receive it. And perfect love casts out fear. And the more we know we're loved, the more we want to love him back. The more we realise that we're loved, we begin to stop worrying about this and stop worrying about that. Our Father will take care of everything. What are we to fear? I just believe this morning that God wants you to know that you are dearly, greatly loved. He wants you to begin to live out this life with joy. He wants you to understand that even the worst of situations, God will turn them for good. He wants you to bless you this morning. He's a big God, isn't he? What did what did Aslan say to Lucy? He said, The more the more that you grow, the bigger you will find me. I'm praying that over these next weeks, as we go through John's Gospel, we're going to see God to be bigger. And we're going to receive more of him. And we're going to show his glory to a world that is lost and dying. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would put it right into each of our hearts. Help us to do what we talked about earlier, to lean in. Help us to get close to you, Lord. Help us not to run away and pretend that we haven't sinned. Help us to bring our sin into the light. And once you give us your grace and wash that sin off us, thank you, we can lean into you. We can receive your love and your grace. And God, you want to show us so much. You want to show us your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the rock that's been cleft for us. Help us to lean in, Lord, to you. And Lord, allow you to show us your glory and change our lives for you. Thank you, Father, for the way you love us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing that hymn again. And I'd love you to really sing it as worship to God, who is your Father. John said that to as many, whoever, as many, received Jesus and believed in his name, that they would become children of God. And as an old, old man, he writes in 1 John 3, and he says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. You see, we are already God's children when we trust him. But he has not yet shown us, John writes, he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. I believe if we could see the the plans that God has for us and that one day in heaven with him we will be in different bodies. We'll be in our heavenly body. And I believe that the beauty of that body 
will be beautiful because God will give it to us. But a lot of what God wants us to do is now. And as we keep our bodies pure, mind, spirit and will, as we live in that purity of Christ and become more like God, more like Jesus, we will be changed even here and now. And as we step in, it will not be such a great transformation. We step into that body that God will give us. And we are going to be heavenly beings living with God and all his might. And, and what are we going to be? Children. Children of God. We're not going to be afar off. We're going to be brought nigh into his heart, into his home. We're going to live with him for all eternity. And I don't believe it's going to be just sitting to play hearts. I believe that God has a purpose. That purpose starts here and now. But it continues into eternity. And you see how faithful we are now. I mean, Jesus taught this. Depending on how faithful and how we work this out now, then the greater responsibility he can give us later. I'm longing to know what he's going to ask me to do. I think we'll be flying around through this universe doing different jobs for God. I do, honestly. I don't see that in the Bible, like, but that's what I do. <laughs> because we're going to have new bodies. That we know when after Jesus rose from the dead, he was in a different body, and that body could go through doors and everything. We're, he could be in one place one minute and someplace another. We're going to be in these different bodies, girls. This body is only temporal. Big and you pictured. God pulled up the stakes out of that tent this week. And he asked Beth's gone up there. She's already, been t- she's already tasting of it. This is what we have. Let's start living for him now. Let's see God as being so much bigger. Don't let Restrict him to a little part of our lives. Let's bring him into everything. Let him have his way in every department of your life. Trust him for every department of your life. Bring your mind into link with what he says. And we'll be growing. And he'll become greater and greater. Not because he, just because we can't see how great he is. God wants to magnify his name. Help us to see how great he is. Lord, I pray that you will go with every woman that you continue to speak would you sow seeds this morning that might have, I just pray even for, for the seed of salvation, that somebody might realise that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them, and that somebody in here this morning might just say, do you know what, I need forgiveness. I need Jesus to come and live his life in mine because I'm not doing a great job. Oh, if, we could just, if it was just one or two this morning who would receive Jesus as Saviour, that would be amazing. Lord, we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. Amen. And we're up here, we've got our team up here ready to pray for anyone who wants prayer, come up and see us. And if you feel that you you don't know Jesus as your saviour, please don't go away without coming up.